It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. You know how every once in a while you see a headline just flashes across the screen and you go, no! Well, that was my reaction yesterday, I guess, when I saw this headline that said that the Buffalo Bills might leave Buffalo. Now, I went to college there, State University of Buffalo. It's a very warm spot in my heart for that cold weather city. The Buffalo Bills football team is such a part of the fabric of that city and its civic pride. And the same is true in Pittsburgh and Boston and Philadelphia, where, you know, people who grew up there, lived their whole lives, they're really into the football team. Uh, hey, I'm still pissed off about the Brooklyn Dodgers, by the way. Uh, but then when I read the story, I thought, well, this is probably not happening. It was a piece uh, by some news outlet in Texas. And here's the lead. Could there be a third NFL team in the Lone Star State? Uh, Governor Greg Abbott likes the idea because the Buffalo Bills are looking to possibly relocate to a number of places, including Austin. Now, Austin is a terrific town, but there's a reason that Austin doesn't have a professional sports franchise. It's not that big a metropolitan area. And my other reaction was, you know, Texas has already got two football teams in Houston and Dallas. Why does it need a third? And then I realized, all right, you know, New York has the Jets and the Giants, and then there's the Bills. But as I can tell you for having gone to college in Western New York, it's so far, not just in terms of it being like an eight-hour drive, but culturally from New York City, you know, it's practically in Ohio, which is on the other side of the Great Lakes. But anyway, it all just seems like a negotiating tactic because the Bills are trying to get the locals to pony up uh, more money for a new stadium. New York authorities are working with them. So, you know, suddenly you say, yeah, you know what? Austin seems like a really nice place to play football. So I'm not so sure it's going to happen, or if it does happen, that it will be in Austin. Speaking of sports, that used to be the whole, the old Howard Cosell uh, show. He had like a five-minute show on the radio. I remember I listened to this as a kid growing up. This is before era. Cosell was on Monday Night Football and became this sort of national, you know, he appeared in movies and became this national figure. Muhammad Ali was like, Howard Cosell, speaking of sports. All my friends listened to it and he, was a, he just was a very good broadcaster. Anyway, speaking of sports, Simone Biles actually winning another medal in the Olympics. You know, famously, she sparked this incredible debate by pulling out and she wasn't in the right mental space and she had to take care of her mental health. And suddenly she's not competing for the U.S. gymnastics team. And different deadlines went by for different events that she could have. And many people hoped that she would compete in. And finally, she returned today to, in you know, Tokyo time. It's already happened. She won a bronze medal on the balance beam. And she said afterwards, I wasn't expecting to medal. To have one more opportunity to be at the Olympics meant the world to me. Uh, Her performance was described as being very solid. A couple of moments of shakiness. She didn't do some of the more complicated twists and turns that had been part of her routine. Uh, But she finished with a smile. This is her seventh Olympic medal uh, over several competitions. And she's just an amazing athlete. And, you know, I think she got increasingly uncomfortable, you know, sparking this worldwide debate. Um, first of all, there was this debate about, you know, was, was she brave? Was she courageous? Was she heroic for pulling out? And on the other side, people said, yeah, you know, she's getting all this great press because she's a woman. Um, on The View, some said it was, she was getting criticism because she's a black woman. I don't know if there's anything racial about it. Uh, but I asked Jim Gray on Media Buzz, 
you know, if this had been a male athlete who suddenly pulled out in a high-profile spotlight of the Tokyo Olympics, wouldn't a lot of people just said, he choked. Uh, so everybody had an opinion on it. I'm so glad to see her come back to at least get the bronze, to, to finish that way. I don't think she wanted necessarily to spark this global debate, but she certainly got it. Uh, other competitors were hugging her. She was jumping up and down. Uh, a nice ending to that story. Uh, Apple, uh, you know, Apple, which controls the all-powerful App Store, has removed a dating app called Unjected. You can see where this is going. From the App Store. Uh, the owners of this app are calling this censorship. Um, the founder says, apparently... Uh, we're considered too much for sharing our medical autonomy and freedom of choice. So this is an app for people who are unvaccinated, who wanted to find each other and date each other. Um, it had previously been rejected from the App Store, but Apple reinstated it after certain updates. And then, oh, this is interesting. The founders asked the users of Unjected to avoid anti-vaccination buzzword like jabbed and microchip. You know, they were trying to game the system, so to trick the Apple reviewers into not realizing this was for the unvaccinated. I, I don't know how I feel about this. I mean, I, I, as you know, I talk about it every day. I'm a great proponent of people getting vaccinated and trying to get them to see the light, not insulting them and shaming them. I call it shot shaming in a headline today. Uh, my, my column on Fox, there shouldn't be any shot shaming. There should just be persuasion. Um, but, you know, the, the, shouldn't they be allowed to date each other, like-minded people who don't want to get the shot? Uh, another little item here before we get down to more serious business. On the podcast yesterday, I talked about a bit of a flap over Barack Obama having a big birthday party, 60th birthday, I guess, and uh, it was reported he was going to have 475 guests. And, you know, he had hired a COVID coordinator. Most of it's going to be outside, but still some people felt that with the Delta variant surging back, this was not a good thing to do in terms of the uh, all-important optics. And today I read, well, Obama's party had 700 guests, and I'm just thinking, wait a second now. Is this just, was it misreported the first time? Or is this just like people you know say, oh, I'm just going to have a party for 50 people. And then, you know, well, we got to invite so-and-so. I, I can't not invite this person's cousin. And, you know, so-and-so is really going to be pissed off if they don't get an invite. Suddenly it's 700 guests. What will it be by the birthday? Well, he's, he's just uh, His birthday, actually, I believe is tomorrow, but the party's a few days later. So we'll watch the guest list for you. And on a somewhat sad note, Kathy Griffin, the comedian, I have not been a big fan of hers since that horrible incident where she had the fake severed head of Donald Trump and held it up in what she thought was a funny routine and then apologized because she lost a lot of gigs and bookings and then came back and took back the apology. But anyway, I wish her well. She has cancer. She uh, was in surgery this week, lung cancer, which doesn't sound good. She is optimistic. She um, said she didn't think she'd need chemo and she expects to be back in a, a month or so. You know, no matter how much I disagree with somebody, politically, culturally, or whatever, never want to see somebody get sick like this. So good luck to Kathy Griffin. And we'll get to the bombshell report, the investigation that Governor Andrew Cuomo of New York sexually harassed numerous women, violated state and federal laws, retaliated in at least one case, got a whole lot to unpack here. We'll get to that a few minutes later in this podcast. But first, story number one. A big fight between liberal Democrats and liberal President Joe Biden 
And the flashpoint here has to do with evictions. Now, during the pandemic, uh, the Biden administration stepped in to prevent people who suddenly lost their jobs through no fault of their own or suddenly couldn't pay the rent from being kicked out of their houses. And, you know, it's, it's, it was a great thing to try to help people who otherwise, you know, either would have had to lose their houses, move to a smaller apartment, end up homeless. I mean, you know, you, you, let's not forget what a huge hit the economy took when everything shut down, when offices were shut down, when restaurants were shut down, when businesses were shut down. Um, it was horrible. It's not like we're completely out of it, but obviously the economy in much better shape now, although there's still about 7 million fewer jobs than there were when the pandemic struck in early 2020. So now, this is a great example, in my view, of why government benefits, once approved, never go away. So the administration steps in and says, you know, we don't want people to lose their houses. Uh, We don't want people to be kicked out of their apartments. So we're going to help them out through federal funding. And then a lot of time goes by, and it's like, okay, the emergency's over. It's time to lift this. And, of course, then you have this chorus of people who rise up and say, no, 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 you can't do this now because all these people will still lose their housing. And so, so something that turns out to be a temporary or emergency fix can sometimes wind up being permanent. In this case, it's complicated by the fact that President Biden and his top advisors have concluded they don't have the legal authority to extend this. So it's a CDC program, and Biden has appealed to the CDC to extend it one more time, but the CDC says that we can't do it. This actually went to the Supreme Court, and there was a Supreme Court ruling uh, written by Brett Kavanaugh Uh, which said, okay, we'll let the moratorium continue another month, but actually the CDC exceeded its legal authority in doing this. So we'll give you a month, Congress can act, Congress can pass a law to prolong it. So Congress hasn't done it. Congress hasn't done it. You've got uh, Democratic uh, liberal Congresswoman Cori Bush camping out on the Capitol steps for several days. She's sleeping there to try to protest this. And the liberals are like, you've got to get this done. They're saying to Biden, you know what, just do it. Buy some time. If it gets overturned by the courts, who cares? And maybe that will give us more time to try to pass some kind of law. In other words, they can't get it done, so they're blaming the president, and the president is blaming the CDC. But there is this sort of inconvenient matter of a Supreme Court ruling that says this would be illegal if you did it again. It was extended three times by the CDC during the pandemic. So White House COVID coordinator Gene Sperling saying, uh, according to the Washington Post, this is really this is a president who really understands the heartbreak of eviction. The reason why he is pressing and pressing, even when legal authority looks slim, is because he wants to make sure we've explored every potential authority. And so this has become now a kind of a symbol because liberals are just sort of now fed up because they feel like the White House is spending all its time negotiating with Republicans and even moderate Dems like Manchin and Cinema. Uh, for example, to get this bipartisan infrastructure bill, which looks like it might actually pass this week. Uh, and as I've said, it's not really paid for. It's $500 billion, It's not really a trillion. But nevertheless, it would be a significant accomplishment if this gets through. So the Libs are basically saying, well, what about us? You're ignoring us. Um, there was, according to this Post story, um, uh, a conference call or a meeting where just... 
tensions escalated sharply, according to the uh, story. Lawmakers were fuming that the White House had not prevented this moratorium on evictions from expiring. Here it is. In a hastily called expletive-laden video conference call uh, of the caucus that is trying to get this overturned, um, nearly two dozen lawmakers joined railing against the White House and House Democratic leaders over the eviction strategy, according to Democrats with knowledge of the discussion. Um, Look, I get it. They're left-wingers and they want more. But the fact is, it's difficult to get everything you want, even when you control both houses of Congress, but particularly when you control both houses of Congress by such slim margins, margins, and in the case of the Senate, obviously 50-50. So White House is asking landlords to voluntarily hold off for 30 days and seek federal emergency rental assistance to be compensated. Biden and Democrats have called attention to $46 billion approved by Congress for rental assistance that state and local governments have been slow to spend. So the money is out there, but the bureaucracy turns slowly and all of that. And by the way, how is it fair to landlords uh, if they're not getting paid by people who can't pay the rent, even if it's through no fault of their own, and if the state or city or county they live in hasn't gotten this money approved, you know, you can't ask landlords to bear the burden of this. So it's a, it's a mess, and I think it's a harbinger of things to come. As the liberals feel like they need more love from Joe Biden, and Biden is trying to put together a governing coalition that includes Republicans. All right, number two, uh, you know, I give you the numbers every day. So over the weekend, the number of new COVID cases actually exceeded 100,000. Remember, early June, 15,000, then 20, 30, 40, 50. And then I said, this is getting serious, 60, 70. Now, the average over the last week or so is about 85,000 new cases a day. Now, that's not the same in terms of their, necessarily their deadliness, but, but look, it's a pandemic of the unvaccinated. That's not a talking point. That's the reality. It just so happens, and this is the one ray of good news, that yesterday uh, the country hit Joe Biden's original goal, the one he said he wanted to have achieved by July 4th. It took till early August, but now 70% of adults in America have gotten at least one shot. If that had happened much earlier, I don't think the Delta variant would be as strong as it is now, but it didn't. And it's still just one shot, although I don't see why anybody who gets one shot, if you're motivated enough to do that, go back and get the second shot. Now, that's over 18. I think it's fairer to not include 12 to 17 because they just haven't been eligible as long, but we need to get those younger people vaccinated as well. But the New York Times has this piece saying basically the whole, it's whiplash. The paper actually uses that word. The whole country is confused. What should we do? Wear a mask, not wear a mask, get a booster shot. It is an S show. And I blame a lot of it on the government and the CDC, uh, but also things keep changing. I think the media bear some responsibility here as well. So it all depends right now on where you live. So in Louisiana, for example, which has one of the lowest vaccination rates, Governor John Bell Edwards reinstated an indoor mask mandate. Same thing in San Francisco and surrounding Bay Area counties. In New York City, Bill de Blasio did not reinstitute a mask mandate, although he is encouraging people uh, to wear masks indoors, even if vaccinated. Uh, In Chicago, um, 385,000 people went to this four-day Lollapalooza music festival, and Mayor Lori Lightfoot, she's, she's fine with it. Lindsey Graham, 
the Republican senator from South Carolina, uh, announced that he has tested positive for coronavirus, even though he is vaccinated. He said his symptoms are mild. I feel like I have a sinus infection. I'm certain I would not feel as well as I do now if I hadn't been vaccinated. And that could raise questions about whether the Senate can continue on some of these razor-close uh, votes because he's going to quarantine for 10 days. It means he can't go inside. By the way, well, for all of the Republican complaints about Nancy Pelosi instituting a mask mandate in the House, the Senate doesn't have a mask mandate. Uh, and there were several meetings with Republican senators. Most Democratic senators uh, are wearing masks. Most Republican senators are not wearing masks. And Lindsey Graham, lo and behold, um, comes out again with COVID-19. I mean, I wish him well. I'm glad he's got a mild case. I love this deadpan paragraph in the Times piece. Some experts say the CDC is to blame for some of the confusion. You think? Duh. You know, first the CDC says you don't wear it, need a mask if vaccinated. Now it says you do need to wear a mask if you're vaccinated. Uh, doesn't put out the data. Then the leaked document comes out and says the Delta uh, variant is as contagious as chickenpox, spreading even among the fully vaccinated. But here's where the media, you know, jumped on this. is like, oh, my God, it doesn't matter if you have a shot. You can still get it. This is terrible. Less than 1%, I mean, far less than 1% of the vaccinated are getting these so-called breakthrough infections. And if you do get it, it's mild. So the, the vaccines are doing their job. They're preventing people who have gotten these shots from getting seriously ill, hospitalized, or dying. Uh, I mean, I don't want to liken it to the flu because that's such an easy comparison, but people get the flu every year. It's uncomfortable. Some, some of them get really sick, but we can't protect. Vaccines don't protect people from ever getting anything, but it protects you um, from the most severe repercussions of getting COVID-19. But yet, because this came out leaked and it used the word chickenpox, there were a lot of kind of stories that seemed like scare stories. Oh my God, vaccinated people are getting it. But yeah, that's the way it's supposed to work. And the CDC didn't make that clear. Uh, I, I, I could go on for hours, but you have a life. So let me move on. Related stories here. Um, insurance companies have something to say about this. When the pandemic first struck, a lot of major insurers waived patient payments like coinsurance, deductibles, for COVID treatment, if you got it. That was the humane and a very generous thing to do. But now they're they're getting rid of those waivers. Again, we talk about temporary versus permanent relief. Aetna, the latest company, United Healthcare, also rolling back the waivers. So if you get, if you're not vaccinated and you get COVID-19 and you have to be hospitalized, uh, even if you have a good insurance policy, it's a thousand bucks probably out of pocket with deductibles. And then if not, the Times asks this question. Why should patients be kept financially unharmed from what is now a preventable hospitalization thanks to a vaccine that the government paid for and made available for free? It's now in many drugstores, popping up at highway rest stops and bus stops. So the insurance company is saying, well, we're not going to take the hit here. You, can you don't have to be hospitalized. Just get the damn shot. Meanwhile, uh, Florida has, I believe, one in five cases. A huge surge, at least in certain parts of Florida, one in five cases nationwide. Um, on Monday, Florida Hospital Association reported more than 10,000 COVID-19 hospitalizations, the most statewide during any point in the pandemic. Even the worst dark days of winter last year, more people are hospitalized in Florida now. There are certain areas where there are shortages of beds. Here it is, one in five new cases naturally. Nationally, 95% of those patients, of course, are unvaccinated. 
Governor Ron DeSantis has maintained a no-mandate approach to the virus, including an executive order last week that prevents school districts from requiring masks in public schools. He says he'll fight any city or municipality that tries to institute COVID restrictions. That, of course, has set off a political battle there. And in New York, the big teachers union there, New York State United Teachers, has now voted that it is against a vaccine mandate. It wants to encourage people to get the vaccine, but it doesn't like the mandate. This is why people don't like unions. In schools, you have one of the last groups in America, really the last group in America that can't get the vaccine, kids under 12. And you would think it would be a reasonable thing to say if you're a teacher or an administrator or a principal or the person who serves lunch, if you want to keep your job in a school, you've got to get vaccinated to protect the kids, but the union is against it. What does that say about their commitment to keeping kids safe? Don't go anywhere. More BuzzMeter coming your way in just a moment. All right, related story. Number three, Rich Lowry in National Review. I talked about this yesterday, the situation in D.C., which now has the mask mandate again. Uh, Maryland doesn't have it, but seems to be heading in that direction. Muriel Bowser, the Democratic mayor of Washington, after imposing this mask mandate, even on the vaccinated, indoor events, she's then photographed at an indoor event. She officiated at a rooftop wedding. Well, that's okay. It's outside. And then she went to the indoor reception where she and others were shown not wearing masks. A reporter from the Washington Examiner was there, reported on it. I don't know if it was there, but reported on it. Um, and she says, oh, uh, Mayor Bowser says she was eating and drinking, which are allowed, but on the table in the picture is just a few glasses. Obviously, nobody was eating dinner. Why did she do it, asked Lowry? Either because she doesn't really consider her new mask mandate that important, or she considers herself too important to be significantly inconvenienced by it. And this is a long line going back to Gavin Newsom, who now faces a recall election uh, next month in California. Uh, the governor, remember this incident uh, back during the lockdown? When he says nobody could go out. You can't have gatherings of more than three people. And he goes to this extremely fancy uh, restaurant in Napa, the French Laundry, and eats there with friends when no one else was supposed to be allowed to do that. Hypocrisy, you know, the examples are simple. All this other stuff is so complicated. But when a Gavin Newsom or other mayors and governors and now Muriel Bowser does it, people remember that because it seems like they're saying one thing and doing another. Number four, and this goes back to my earlier uh, segment about liberals and wanting to spend a lot of money and keep the benefits permanent and all of that. So Political has a nice piece about this other bill, the so-called reconciliation bill. In other words, Biden's got the one where he hopes to get Mitch McConnell and the other Republican senators to stay on board for infrastructure. And then there's the $3.5 trillion bill, which includes everything from climate change to housing policy to a whole bunch of social stuff, all stuff that the Democrats want to do. You lose sight of how much money $3.5 trillion is. So Politico says Democrats are looking for money to pay for this bill that they plan to pass purely with 50 Democratic votes in the Senate if they can keep all their senators together. So for one thing, they're looking at dynamic scoring. Dynamic scoring is, is like the old um, supply side on the GOP side. Dynamic scoring is, oh, you know, this is going to do so much to help the economy that we don't really need to pay for it. The economy is just going to surge. It's essentially, you know, rose-colored glasses. And then there's all these things like, let's hit the mega IRAs. So there are Americans who have IRAs accounts that are over $5 million. Let's penalize them because they save a lot of money. 
And then there are the two things that Biden, in fairness, has said all along that he wanted to do. He he campaigned on this as a candidate. Raise the corporate tax rate. Uh, Donald Trump had knocked it down from 35 to 21 percent. Biden wants to make it 28. That may not fly, but Manchin would support something in the mid-20s. So that would probably happen if this bill goes through. And raise the top income tax rate. Uh, Under Obama, it was 39.6%. The Trump tax cut knocked it down to 37%. Democrats want to take it back to 39.6%, which they've had that before. They did this as part of a 2012 budget deal under President Obama. But then there are all these other gimmicks and, you know, we're going to go after the foreign profits of American companies. Every president says he's going to do that. It never ends up bringing in very much because companies have very good accountants. But the fact is, however much the Democrats may want to pass this $3.5 trillion bill, you know, if you don't have real money behind it, even raising the corporate tax rate and the rate on people over 400000 doesn't even come close to paying for a $3.5 trillion bill. And so that's why they're coming, trying to come up with new mechanisms, find new pots of money to raid, and basically some accounting gimmicks and wishful thinking because they're not going to be able to pay for all of it. And maybe they'll have to settle for less. You know, Maybe those who say we don't have to spend $3.5 trillion after having already spent $2 trillion on the COVID relief bill with the economy largely bouncing back, although obviously the Delta variant could slow things down quite a bit. And finally, number five, Andrew Cuomo, the governor of New York, um, was, of course, in the middle of this scandal that ultimately, after a slow start in media coverage, ended up dominating the news for weeks and weeks and weeks. Various women, uh, most of whom work for New York State, uh, making varying allegations, which he has denied, of sexual harassment and, in at least one case, unwanted touching. Well, over the weekend... Uh, he was interviewed by state prosecutors at his 39th floor office in Midtown Manhattan uh, for 11 hours. 11 hours, they asked him about his treatment of women, going to a behind-the-scenes piece in the New York Times. There were tense moments. At more than one point, uh, Cuomo confronted one of the prosecutors, challenging his fairness and independence because this guy, whose name is Kim, had investigated, had been involved in a previous investigation of the governor, who's now, of course, in his third term in Albany. So the state attorney general, Letitia James, uh, and her people have gathered hours of testimony from women who have accused Cuomo of improper behavior, ranging from hugs, inappropriate comments, to unwanted kissing and touching. They've subpoenaed state records. They've collected emails, texts, data from uh, AIDS and their BlackBerry devices. They still use Blackberries, I guess, in New York. Um, the inquiry now is believed to be in an end, which is not surprising because you don't interview the target of a probe until the very end when you've gathered as much as you possibly can. Now it is believed, according to the Times of Sources, that the state investigation could wrap up by the end of August. Now there's been a change in tone, and the Times kind of documents it, because in the beginning, Andrew Cuomo was apologetic, I certainly never meant to make anybody uncomfortable. I feel badly if anybody was uncomfortable um, and all of that. And remember, all this is happening is he's trying to decide whether to seek re-election to a fourth term next year. And if he survives this investigation 
and he runs again, obviously he would have a much tougher time. And it reminds me of his dad, Mario Cuomo, who didn't have any of these particular problems, but served three terms. You know, what happens is you've been the governor for 12 years. The people get tired of you. All the things that are wrong get blamed on you. And a relatively unknown uh, lawmaker named George Pataki came along and knocked off Mario Cuomo when he saw the fourth term. So fourth terms, it's a lot. Uh, New York, uh, obviously a state where there are no term limits, at least for governor. So uh, the change in tone I referred to just um, last week, Cuomo said, I'm very eager to get the facts to the people of the state. I think when they hear the actual facts, what happened, how the situation has been handled, I think they're going to be shocked. Shocked. Uh, He is focused now on saying that the way in which the state AG's office is conducting this is unfair, it's out of bounds, less so on OIG, I feel bad if the women were made uncomfortable. So everything obviously depends on what the uh, findings are because the Times raises the possibility that he could face some kind of criminal charges. There's one woman who's never been named uh, who says that she was groped in the executive mansion by the governor. Uh, He denies that. She has not gone to the Albany Police Department to file a complaint. As I said, Cuomo denies it. But even if it's uh, something far short than criminal conduct, if it is, if the charges, if the report that Letitia James puts out is really serious, that could revive a movement in uh, the state legislature, which includes a number of Democrats that are not necessarily huge fans of Andrew Cuomo, um, to impeach him. Would they do that heading into election? Would they decide that he's not the strongest candidate? If so, who would the Democrats nominate? All of this is on the line. So when you have an investigation like this, what happens is you buy a lot of time. It fades out of the news. There's not any new developments. The media move on to other things. And, you know, then at some point it comes roaring back. And people say, oh, yeah, the Cuomo thing, the women, the one who went on TV. Uh, And that's where we are now, probably within a few weeks. Uh, the end of this investigation will show uh, what Andrew Cuomo did or did not do, how many of these allegations can be verified by state investigators, and whether or not he runs again and what his political fate is. So uh, that, of course, will dominate the news when it happens. But for now, we have this update for you. Appreciate your listening as always. You can go to a lot of different places. I, I meant to um, look up all the places you can subscribe to podcasts. I'll do that for tomorrow. So I'll just mention Apple, iTunes, and Google Podcasts, and you can get it on your Amazon device. We're back here tomorrow. See you then with more buzzing. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com.